Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com. We are continuing a journey. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're continuing a journey through the letter we know as 1 Peter in a series we have titled Living Hope. Uh, we're about six weeks in, and we're in chapter one. <laughs> we're still in chapter one. So turn again to chapter one uh, with me. I, uh, I know others have said it already, but just want to say again, welcome uh, to Bluff First. We're so glad to have you here. We expected you. We made preparations for you. We're glad that you are here. And if you're joining us online, Facebook Live, or if you're joining us on any of our uh, podcast platforms, just want to say welcome. Thanks for being with us, learning with us. We're all learning more about Jesus. We haven't, any of us, figured this thing out yet completely. We're on a journey, um, including myself. My name's TJ. I am one of the three pastors here, and so uh, delighted to have you here with us. I have the opportunity to function as the lead pastor after being the uh, youth pastor for a number of years. But anyway, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and you can go ahead and find verse 13. Uh, we're not going to turn there, I'm not going to read that quite yet, but I do want to make note that the first word of verse 13 is the word, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. therefore. And the old preacher joke is, you know, to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And so it's in light of all the things that have been said in the first 12 verses. And I won't rehash the entire series, but we have seen over the last five or six weeks that, that God has done uh, so much for us, and we ought to have a response to that. We have been given this living hope. God knows us. He chose us. He grows us. We have this inheritance now, this power. We can endure trials, all of that stuff we've talked about. And so the question is, how do we respond? How do we live? And Peter says, therefore, and he's going to tell us how to walk this out. I don't typically uh, title my messages, but I have titled today's message. If you're a note taker, if you've got the scripture journal or you're putting in notes on your phone, here's the title, and hopefully it'll kind of put your head in the right space of what we're going to talk about. The title is this, New Living in the Same Old World. New Living in the Same Old World. This is what I'm praying for you. I would love a different world. I would love for the world to just be awesome and be perfect, but I know chances are we're going to face some difficulties I would love for your circumstances to all change and for everything to go right for you. But more than that, and probably more realistically, I'm praying that you are changed, that you have new life, new living in the same old world, that you are uh, changed to be more and more like the reflection of Jesus. And so that's our choice this morning, to have the same old living in the same old world or new living in the same old world. And I think that this has huge implications, huge consequences on our homes, on our families, on people around us who don't know Jesus. The way that we live, the way that we respond to all the things that have already been taught in this letter and in this series has huge implications. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, considering all that's already been said, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He references the Old Testament there. And if you call on him as father... 
who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God, would you speak to us through your word today? Would you help us, despite all the distractions and all the other things we could be thinking about, to really listen to what you want to say today? Not what I want to say, what you want to say. May we walk out of here more like your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we experience new living in the same old world? Well, here's here's what I believe and what I believe the Bible teaches, and I think even what psychology teaches, science teaches this, right? That for a transformation to take place in your life, it's going to start up here and in here, right? It's going to start in your mind, in your heart, all right? Then it's going to spill over into here, (laughs) into your acts, right? And to your words, to your lips. And so if that's the case, if it starts in the heart and mind, we ought to invest our resources and our attention accordingly. We don't jump straight to how do we act and how do we talk, although those are important things. We have to first deal with how do we think, how do we feel, what are we focused on. And so to have new living, there's two things we have to have. Number one, we must have new thinking, New thinking. God has started a work in us, but it's participatory. We get to play along, and it starts in our thinking before it moves to our will and our actions. Look at verse 13 again. Y'all okay if we just study the Bible today? Is that all right? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Right? Prepare your minds for action. Some of y'all grew up on the King James Bible. Anybody in the house today? The King James says this, gird up the loins of your mind. Raise your hand if you didn't know your mind had loins. Right? I don't even know what that means. It's not a thing we say every day. But that's what the King James says. says, gird up the loins of your mind. This is an ancient phrase about uh, what would happen with first century men. So if you're a first century man, you don't wear blue jeans, you wear a robe. And it's very stylish, very attractive, very cool in the summertime. But if you're going to try to run or fight or work, how many know a robe is not the most practical thing for a gentleman to do that stuff in? And so, um, you know, this time of year, there's probably like YouTube videos coming out of people tripping on their uh, graduation stage. They're tripping on the stairs, tripping on their robe, maybe prom dress, people falling down, whatever. And so in, in that day and age, if you wanted to do anything and you were a man, you had to gird up your loins, okay? We put it in 2021 language. We might say something like this. Roll up your sleeves, right? Prepare, get ready to get to work. Let me hit the, let me hit the young people in the room, okay? Put your Crocs in four-wheel drive, <laughs> right? You know, there's two-wheel drive, there's four-wheel drive. Like, get ready. You get the picture. Be prepared, Peter says. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds for action. Listen, if you're going to live for Jesus in 2021, Despite trials, despite suffering, despite outside pressure, a culture that has more and more animosity towards the Bible, and and let's be honest, all of the problems aren't outside, there's some problems inside of us. If we're going to live for Jesus despite all of that, it's going to take us preparing our minds. We're going to have to do some thought. We're going to have to put some thought into this or we'll have no foundation. And as soon as a trial comes or a different voice giving a different opinion than what the word of God says, you're not going to be on stable ground. You're not going to know what to do or think. You've got to prepare your mind. We have to have a prepared mind 
to live this new life. Then he says this, being sober-minded. Everybody say sober. Now, listen, don't raise your hand, but some of us have some stories about things we've done when we weren't so sober, right? But this is about much more than just not being drunk. This is about thinking clearly. What an important thing to think clearly. Proverbs uh, 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so there's those words connected again. We think of thinking like the mind, but the heart is part of that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The way he thinks affects who he is. The way that we think affects who we are and how we are and how we live. And so if we're not thinking clearly, then we don't see God clearly. If we're not thinking clearly, we don't see ourselves clearly. We don't see others clearly. We don't see life clearly. And if you don't see things clearly, you don't do things the right way. I remember in high school, um, in order to uh, discourage driving under the influence, they brought to school for our entertainment, they brought the drunk goggles. Y'all ever had that happen? You put them on, and it's kind of funny. Everything's way, you can't do anything. You can't hardly walk in a straight line. It's very entertaining in a classroom, but the point they're trying to communicate is that you would not want to do anything important with like this. You would not want to drive. You would not want to you know, do anything important with that kind of vision. But listen, if we're not careful, we come to Jesus for salvation. We want to go to heaven. We want to live for God. But then we go out and we get back on the road and we go back to our lives and we live with the same old drunk goggles on. And we still see things the way we used to see them. We've got to begin to see clearly. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we take these goggles off? Romans 12 verse 2 says, it's a very famous passage, says don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let your mind be made new that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How many want to know the will of God for your life or for every situation you face so that you can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? Here's the problem. Some of us treat renewing our minds like renewing our license plates. We do it once in a while, right? And we know it needs to get done and when it has to be done, it gets done. But it's easily forgotten about. It's not a common experience. Some of us, every couple of years, we go to DFL, we go to Stronger Men's Conference, we go to camp, we have some big moment with God, and we try to live off of that. We renew this commitment. We say, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to, you know, whatever. We make this big commitment, and we expect that to last and carry us. When the truth is, like the renewing of your mind, the word of God coming to the scriptures to change how you think ought to be more like brushing your teeth. How many brush your teeth once every two years? At least, right? At least once every two years. Like, we don't brush our teeth every couple of years. When do we brush our teeth? Every day? Like, I hope. Is Dr. Beard here? Where you at, man? We We need help. You, you've got to start that. You've got to do that. Why? Here's what I've found interesting. Even if you're fasting, if you don't eat anything, you don't put anything in your mouth for two or three days, you still got to brush your teeth. Why is it? They don't just stay clean. You can't brush them and then say, if I don't put anything else in, it'll stay clean. Your mouth is a germ factory, okay? It, it doesn't stay clean. Similarly, our minds don't stay clean. 
We don't just hear the word of God on Sunday and that's enough to change our thoughts for seven days. We've got to have a daily ritual of some sort, a daily encounter with God. You brush your teeth, brush your brain, okay? Open the word of God. And listen, if there's ever been a time and a place and a people that are without excuse, it is us. There are villages where people share a page of the Bible and they pass it from house to house to try to get the word of God in them. And you've got a phone, you could ask, I'm careful to say Siri around her because she always hears me, but you can ask her, open the Bible app, open the verse of the day, open the story. We have so much at our fingertips to be able to encounter the word of God. Don't treat it like a license plate, okay? And this is important. If we don't read, if we don't meditate on scripture, then we won't have a prepared mind. Listen, there are certain things in life you gotta have your mind made up before you face those things. But when you're learning how to drive, you know, your, your dad tells you like, hey, now if you hit ice, you turn into the curve. You turn, you know, they teach you all these different things about if you're gonna park on a hill, you gotta park, the, you have to be prepared in advance before you face that situation. There are certain things in life, you are in, in, in the moment, in your emotions, with everybody around you who doesn't listen to what God says, telling you what to think and what to do, you're going to do the wrong thing if you haven't already decided in advance by studying the scriptures and, and, and searching your own heart and asking God to help you. You've got to decide in advance what's right, what's wrong, what does God say, what does the world say, what's moral, what's immoral, what am I going to do? You've got to have new thinking to do that. And then not only do we have prepared minds and clear minds and sober minds, there's something for us to focus on. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed. Every single day, every single one of us puts our hope in, sets our hearts on something. You may not realize you do it, but every day you get up and you look for something to give you joy, something to give you a sense of accomplishment, something to give you peace and meaning. And listen, we have default settings. It's easy for that to be work. It's easy for that to be money. It's easy for that to be accomplishment. Let's be honest. It's very easy for it to be your children, to put your sense of purpose and meaning and all of that into your kids or your other relationships, your friends, your marriage, whatever it might be. Everybody's putting their hope in something. Everybody's counting on something to make them happy or unhappy. Everyone's looking forward to something. Seniors are looking forward to graduation. Fiancés are looking forward to wedding day, right? Every one of us looking forward to some vacation, some three-day weekend. Some of us still waiting, looking forward to that tax return that hasn't showed up yet. Some of us, finger crossed, waiting on another stimmy, right? We're all hoping for something. Peter tells us what we should be hoping for. He says a Christian should set their hope on the grace and the return of Jesus. That's what we ought to be thinking about because we need it every day. We need grace every day. We need hope every day. We need perspective every day. Otherwise, we wind up living for selfish, temporary, meaningless stuff. So renew your mind. Think differently. And you know what? We need help doing this. None of you are capable of just going out and thinking differently. You need God's help. You need his word. You need his spirit. You you need the body of Christ as well. You need people. Your sanctification, your journey, your being made more like Jesus, that is a group project. And group projects are awkward. Not everybody pulls their weight. 
right? You guys remember group projects? Like, you did all the work. Everybody got the same grade. Some of you are like, no, I didn't do any of the work. That was awesome. (laughs) But it's a group project. And listen, that doesn't mean we show up every Sunday thinking about what we're going to get and expecting everybody to serve us because they're in on our group project. We show up realizing we're a part of everybody else's group project. And we've got to pull our weight. And that's when we care about this stuff. That's why we do small groups. We don't do small groups. Small groups are meeting tonight. We don't do those because we love volleyball. We don't do those because we love disc golf. We love talking about our stress. And we love learning more about parenting. All those things are great. But we have those things in place for relationships that you might make friendships, get to know people that are going to be a part of this group project called you becoming more like Jesus. That's the point of the whole thing is the relationship with other people help our relationship with God. And so if we can submit to that, if we can say, all right, it's a group project, I'm in, I gotta think different, I gotta renew my mind, I gotta encounter the word of God so I'll think clearly, I'll be sober-minded, that heart and mind stuff leads to actions and words. And so it's new thinking, but it's new choices. New choices. If you want to have new living in this same old world, we got to think different. We don't want to think the same way we've always thought. We have to choose differently. We have to act differently. It says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. New choices look like two things mainly, okay? Number one, say no to your old life. We got to say no to our old life. Listen, he says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, before you knew Jesus, you didn't know any better. Now you do. You can't be that same person. How many of you say, Pastor TJ, before I came to Christ, before I got in church, before I started reading the Bible, there were certain things I did and said, and I thought it was totally justifiable. I thought it was totally acceptable. Everybody around me thought it was totally fine. But now I open this book. I, I, I listen to preaching. I, I, I pray. I talk to God, and I realize there's stuff I did and thought and said that was wrong. Anybody in the room this morning? Seventeen. All right, it's getting better getting better. I hope so. I hope you've had, listen, if nothing has changed in the way that you think, you might just be serving you. I mean, if God hasn't changed your mind about anything, that's troublesome to me. Say no to your old life. You see that word conformed again. It's that concept of being shaped, molded. We can be conformed to God's word, or we can be molded and shaped by all the same things we used to be shaped by, and make, make no mistake, none of us are self-made where nothing influences us. All of us are shaped by things. We're shaped by our upbringing. We're shaped by our culture. We're shaped by the town we grew up in, the school we had, the friends we have, the place we work, the coworkers we have, the news station we watch, the podcast we listen to, the music we listen to, the TV we listen to, the friends we talk to and get advice from. All of us are shaped by these things. Has any of that gotten better? Are you getting shaped by better things? When I was a teenager, there was this phrase you heard a lot in youth ministry, garbage in, garbage out, right? And, and I got what they were saying. There's this idea that, you know, whatever you put in your heart, in your mind, TV, music, whatever, it's going to come out of your life. 
And I think for a time, maybe we focused a little too much on that, where we were like, you know, throw away all your music and, and you know, only watch Christian TV, which, by the way, we've made it easy for you. If, you. if you do want, like, Christian content, we've got right now media for you for free. It's awesome. If you don't have it already, just text BLUFF to 49775 right there on the screen. You can sign up for right now media. It's like the Netflix of Bible study. It's awesome for you. It's awesome for kids. We've made it easy for you to find Christian content, but, but that we know you're going to have all kinds of other content. And so how do we change how we think and how we act if we don't change what we're putting into our lives? The stuff we watch and listen to, the TikToks we follow, the news channel we watch, it impacts us. So, so here's the question. Have any of those influences changed since you changed? Has any of the stuff you're taking in, has any of that changed since you met Jesus? I'm not saying get rid of all your old friends. I'm not saying throw away all your music. I'm not saying quit watching all your TV shows. But I'm asking, has anything changed? Are you being shaped by new and better things? Do you ever stop and think about who you used to be and realize some of that was because of some of this, and so I'm going to get rid of some of this? I know we think about our old selves before we met Christ, and we've all got a funny story or two, but let's, let's remember the good old days weren't the good old days. Let's remember, like, when we weren't following Jesus, we might have had some laughs and had some memories, but, like, we had a lot of loneliness. We had a lot of emptiness. We had some fake friends that were only there when we were doing certain things. The letter to the Ephesians uh, remembers this time in our life. It says, you were dead. Everybody say dead. Y'all awake? You okay? Or are you dead? Y'all, everyone says dead. Say Say dead. Say dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, the devil, right? Everybody was doing that. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says everybody used to live for themselves. Everybody used to do whatever they felt like, and everybody before Christ was D-E-D, dead. I know I spelled it wrong. Peter would say this to us. Listen, you're not dead anymore, so you don't have to play dead. If you're not dead anymore, you don't have to hang out in the same old graveyards you always hung out in. If you're not dead anymore, don't crawl back into your coffin. Don't just hang out with dead people. Yeah, there's some friends we keep. And we could be a positive influence for them. There are other relationships, man, we got to control a little bit until we're not able to be influenced. There are some things we used to do we shouldn't do anymore. There are some things we used to believe we shouldn't believe anymore. There are some websites we used to look at, books we used to read, podcasts we used to listen to that, hey, you know what? We ought to say no to our old life. And then secondly, to have this new living and new thinking, we don't just say no to our old life. We say yes to our Father. He says, as obedient children, obedient children say yes to their father. They trust him. He says, be holy as he who has called you is holy. Conduct yourselves with fear. What does holiness mean? What is holiness? Around here, you ask 100 people, what is holiness? You might get 100 different answers. Some of you grew up in this part of the country. When you hear the word holiness, you think big hair, long skirt, no TV, that's holiness. Some of you maybe grew up and had different influences. You think of the paintings with the halos and the, ah, 
right? Some of you heard of holy rollers and people that were holier than thou, and and when you hear holy, you think goody two-shoes. But listen, one of the primary attributes of God, one of the main ways God describes himself in his word is holy. When Isaiah, the prophet, saw the Lord, and he saw the angels surrounding the throne, they weren't crying, loving, loving, loving. Friend, 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 although God is loving and he is our friend. They were crying, holy, holy, holy. So, and Peter says, be holy as he is holy. What does that look like? What is holiness? Well, holy means, if you, holy means unique. We, we sang it this morning. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. It means unique. It means set apart. If you're going to put it in one word, I would say this. Holy means other. God is just other. He's just different, right? He's unlike anything or anyone else. Now, he's perfectly holy, and Peter says, be holy as he is holy, and we realize we are imperfect, but there's still this challenge to us to be holy. Let me say it this way. If we are now God's children, okay, there ought to be some family resemblance. People ought to look at us and look at Jesus, and look at us, and look at Jesus, and go, are you guys, are y'all related? We talked about this last week, that gold that's refined. The goldsmith knew it was done when he could see his reflection. We ought to look like Jesus to the world around us. Last night, um, the late basketball legend Kobe Bryant was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if we got any Kobe fans in the room, any people that say Kobe every time they shoot a paper wad at a trash can. But one of my favorite Kobe stories, make no mistake, he's not Michael Jordan, but he was a great player, okay? The Lakers, the, kind of the younger team, not, not one of the best Laker teams, were getting blown out at Portland. And Kobe came in the locker room, I think Lou Williams tells the story, um, most of the players were wearing Kobe's. Kobe has his own signature Nike shoe, and these are a little beat up because I wear them, and that's a tough job on these shoes to carry me up and down the floor. But most of the players, why are you laughing about that? <laughs> most of the players are wearing Kobe's. It's the, it's the Lakers. They're all wearing Kobe's. He came in the locker room just steaming at the lack of effort and getting blown out, and he was like, all y'all wearing Kobe's, take them off. And everybody kind of sat there like, what? And he's like, I'm serious. You're playing like this. You don't deserve to wear Kobe's. Take your Kobe's off. And so all of them took their Kobe's off and threw them in the middle of the floor. Now, I'm grateful that we don't serve a God who takes his name off us every time we mess up, okay? Who doesn't say, oh, I'm done with you. I forget about you. But can we take from that story still, we ought to take seriously the name that is on us. I mean, Kobe's on your shoes. You got to live up to Kobe's standards. Listen, Jesus is on your life. Let, let's, let's have a little bit, a sense of obligation, a, a little bit of sense of like, man, he did so much for me. I want to live. I want to carry the family name. I want to reflect him. It's important how we act. Not that our deeds save us. We're saved by grace through faith. No man can boast. But because we've been saved by grace, we got work to do. We have people to show Jesus too. Another way to look at holiness is wholeness. W-H-O-L-E, wholeness. God is holy and he is whole. He is complete. He is lacking nothing. And listen, the closer you get to God, the more you become like that. 
Some of you guys, um, some of the fellows maybe, your dad was a jack of all trades. He could do about anything. He could fix about anything. And whether you liked it or not, you were going to learn how to do some of that stuff too. And so as a kid, he would say, hey, come here, let me show you this. And he showed you how to do stuff. And now you find yourself, you're an adult, and you're a bit of a jack of all trades as well because you spent so much time with your dad. I would say I relate, but I spent a lot of time with my mom, all right? I'm not a handyman at all. My brother is the jack of all trades. But that same concept, man, time spent with dad, I learned a little bit of everything. That's what it looks like. The more time we spend with God, the more complete we become, the more well-rounded, the more mature, the more holy we become. Not holier than thou, not a holy roller, but actually holy, different. And the awesome thing is that God doesn't just give us advice. He doesn't just give us commands. He doesn't just say, be holy. He doesn't just give us Jesus and say, there, live like that. But he actually, this is what the whole series is about, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us. He's actually given us the power and his presence to do it. We actually can live like Jesus. We actually can be holy. We actually can live different. And my least favorite part of that verse, it says, be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct. The Phillips translation says, every department of your life. I don't know if you've ever taken a tour of like a famous house or a old hotel, maybe Graceland. Anybody been to Graceland? Right? Graceland. Anybody been there? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. I don't know what that was. Okay. If you've been there, you know there's certain rooms that are off limits. There's certain ropes you can't go behind. There's certain rooms you can't go into without, maybe once in a while, somebody, a VIP gets to or whatever, but there are certain areas that are off limits. Some of y'all understand this, especially you small group hosts, okay? When you have people over at your house, you probably close certain doors, right? There's a catch-all. There's a room where everything else goes and the rest of the house looks clean, right? Don't go back there. Don't, no, no, you don't want to go. That's just boring. You don't want to, you don't want to, that's the basement. You don't even have a basement, Listen, Jesus is not a tourist. He's not a house guest. He wants the key to every room, every room of your life. When you wake up, when you get ready, when you get in your car and you drive through Poplar Bluff traffic, he wants to be Lord. When you get to work, everybody else is late. Everybody else called in. When you get to the office, the factory, the classroom, the boardroom, the bedroom, when you get on your phone or your computer, He wants the key to every room. Holiness is letting God have the keys to the inside of your life. And listen, that'll take care of the outside. We focus so much on the outside. I gotta clean up my act before I go to church. I gotta do this. I gotta quit this habit. We focus so much on the outside. Man, I just can't quit cussing. I can't quit smoking. I can't quit drinking. I can't quit whatever, whatever it is. You're focused so much on your behavior. Change your thinking. Change your consuming. What are you listening to? What are you reading? What do you, let the inside, let God have the keys to the inside. It'll take care of the rest. You know, as a church, we want to focus on the inside too. I don't care what you look like on the outside. Like our only dress code is clothes. If you would please wear clothes, everything else is, is pretty much fair game. We don't care about the outside. We care about the inside. 
The world does not understand that. The world does not understand holiness. Anybody talk about trying to be holy and they automatically think you're judgmental, you're, you're this, you're that. We gotta show them. Pastor Nate, if you join me. How can God, being perfect, ask for such difficult things from us who are imperfect? Man, how can I be holy? How can I think different? How can I surrender? How can I give him the key to every room? I think a God who gave everything can ask anything. God who gave, who spared not his perfect, his one and only son. Parents, can you imagine giving up your child for people who may or may not even say thanks? God gave his son, and what does he ask for? Our broken, messed up lives. What a trade, what a, it's the best swap shop of all time. Hey, here's my perfect son. Here's his sinless life. Here's his humble sacrifice. What do you want from me, God? That mess that you call a life. Okay, and here's the awesome part. When we give our lives to God, he doesn't leave it alone and go, all right. No, he, he starts taking broken things and putting them back together. He puts a little fresh coat of paint on some stuff. He fastens some things together and he fixes what this world and this life and sin has broken. He wants to give you new life. A lot of us think about this. We think about our holiness, our growth, our discipleship, and we think God is just arms crossed, constantly disappointed in us. But the scriptures teach a different perspective. First Timothy chapter two, and I'm done. It says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You want to know what makes God happy? What makes God's day? What makes God smile? It's this. He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to come to him and have their minds transformed so they can live a different life, a new life in this same old world. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com.